0: and thought evolutionists. Privyet means hello in Russian because my guest Olga was born in 1973 in the former Soviet Union. Being an immigrant myself, I love to hear about the journeys of other fellow immigrants because they are usually stories that were born out of dreams, sweat, tears, struggles, and hopes for a better life. Imagine packing up your entire world your culture, your language even, everything you know. Picture yourself saying goodbye to your loved ones without the certainty of seeing them again anytime soon. Imagine giving up your favorite foods, the street you grew up in, the place you've been calling home all your life. Can you see the sacrifice immigrants make every single day to start a brand new life right here in the US of A? I love living here. But coming to America is not an easy thing to do. And I think many people out there forget that there's a big financial, emotional, and personal price tag for those coming to live in this wonderful country with all of its opportunities, privileges, and especially the freedoms we unfortunately take for granted all too often. For some, immigrants have become a scapegoat for everything that's wrong even though most of those complaining about the influx of foreigners come from a line of immigrants themselves. Olga will not only tell us the gripping tale of a Russian girl with a hunger for a better life and the freedom to live in peace. She will also speak to us about joining the US Navy and doing her part as an immigrant to keep this beautiful country free and safe for all of us. Olga is turning 50 this year. And I'm excited to hear about all of the political and personal changes she got to experience firsthand within her half of a century long intriguing life. Olga is not ashamed of her age, and every wrinkle she has is a testament to her resilience and to her desire to live life to the fullest. Meet this thriving woman who has learned that home really is where the heart is. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me, Olga. We are recording this episode on a Sunday, and what a beautiful Sunday it is. If we weren't having this conversation right now, how would you normally spend your Sunday?
1: Well, as uh, you could see, <laughs> normally we would, my husband and I, we would enjoy this beautiful day by doing something on our backyard. And today is absolutely gorgeous, perfect day to enjoy the life. And thanks again for inviting me for this show, talk show. I would be very, very happy to share my experiences and uh, anything that you want to know.
0: Just like me, you are from a country that does not exist anymore. I was born in the German Democratic Republic in 1982 when the wall was still there and when my part of Germany was still very much under Soviet control. You were born in 1973 in the Soviet Union. I sometimes jokingly say I might as well be from Atlantis because of how surreal my birthplace now seems. Before we get into what your life was like and how you grew up, how does it feel when you look at your birth certificate, for example, knowing that your birth country can only be found in history books, but not on a current map.
1: Well, I I totally can understand you. Yes, it is uh, weird looking back, thinking I was born in a country that does not exist anymore. But quite honestly, it is fascinating to me because the changes that really needed to happen have happened during my lifetime. And I was grown up enough to remember, remember both sides of that non existing world. And I am also blessed that I am here now and can share what it was like so other people understand history better, understand what is it like when we're talking about Soviet social type of life. Not many ki- people can understand that. And I think if they would know life experiences of people like you and I, which there's quite a few of us around, people would understand better. Because in ideal theory, things might have pretty uh, good sound to it, but in reality, it's usually different.
0: So let's spin back time. Take us with you to your childhood and your family. What was it like growing up in the Soviet Union?
1: Well, as you mentioned earlier for our listeners, I was born in 1973. At that time, back in USSR, oh my gosh, remember that song? (laughs) Uh, Back in USSR, the structure of life was quite not conducive for people to enjoy the life. Many of us here are also familiar with the routine: get up, go to work, come back from work, cook, clean, sleep, repeat. The differences, the biggest differences that were existing then back in Soviet Russia was that you didn't have a hope to break this routine. And for generations, it's all people knew, just go to work, come back home and do basically nothing, try to recoup from hard working days. We didn't have cars. Most of the time you would walk everywhere. And I was blessed with being born in Russia, where it's like my, my trip to the store was 20 minutes. It's not that bad, but I was sent this nine-year-old girl. I was sent by my mother to go to do the grocery stores, (laughs) walking, carrying the, the, the groceries back home, you know, in one hand, it's a good thing because now I grew up, life has changed. I can appreciate small things in life. Like many people don't. And it makes life different. When the small things that you do not have to be uh, worrying about or suffer through, it's its a big deal. It's, it's what the life is consist about. It's not really what you can see others do. It's about what you do, how do you appreciate your life, and what can you do to make your life better or people next to you, you know? And speaking of the regular day of my life then, being a child, it's it's interesting because, as I said, most of it is a routine, but my early life recollection would be about one of the condo that we used to live. And at that time, a lot of people lived in a small condos as the multi-generational place to be at. In my specific case, and again, my situation wasn't the worst, in our two-bedroom condo, and the way it was in, uh, back in Russia, back in Soviet then, the condo means you have two bedrooms, one living room, one tiny kitchen, and bathroom would be split bathroom. You will have like bus stop and one little tiny room, and the toilet is just in a separate <laughs> room that with a separate door. Everything is tiny. So in our two-bedroom, one living room, condo where I was born to and to spend the first years of my life it was several generations leaving me as a child my parents we lived in a living room there was no door there was no privacy for my parents or there was no privacy for me as a child to you know close the door and go to sleep then my grandparents had a small bedroom with the door it's a big privilege then and then my great grandma used to live in the same condo as well she had the smallest private room so to speak and my great grandma most of the time is doing something at home, cooking, cleaning. She would help a little bit with watching after me when I come back from kindergarten or school. But uh, my grandparents were working. My grandparents would be leaving to go to work, to take a bus, a uh, metro, which would be almost two hours each way. They would be leaving like at 5 a.m. My grandpa used to leave at 4.30 And they would come back in the evening, 5, 6 p.m., sometimes even later. My parents were working, but in Russia then and Soviets then, every male had a mandatory military service from the age of 18 and up to age 20 or 21, depending. I'm not sure what the situation now, but it doesn't really matter. So... I didn't really know my father until he got back from military service. I remember my mother and I living in that room, and I just remember one day my father came back and he was wearing uniform. I'm wondering if that was an influence on me. I don't know. <laughs> but that, uh, that's what it was then. And that was probably the, the best I can say how we lived in the same condo. Uh, At some point, my grandparents have gotten a summer house to which we would go for a couple months during the year. And that would be basically biggest vacation.
0: You mentioned that you were very privileged compared to other people during that time. What would life have been like for a poor person, for somebody who did not enjoy the same privileges that you got to enjoy?
1: Well, as I mentioned, my family was in a pretty good uh, situation. We had two bedrooms, condo we lived in, but not everybody was that that lucky. Although there was very little privacy in, in, in that condo for any one of us. There was people who would have even worse case scenario than than ours. There could be three generations living in the same room. And this is actually where my family came from. You know, before I was born, they used to live after the, the Second World War. There was... Three generations in the same room, you know. Many people that didn't have nice living arrangements were suffering through whatever they they had. Uh, Alcoholism was very high uh, back in Russia because total hopelessness was the theme of life, you know. And for majority of the people, there was no way out of it. Another thing I consider as a privilege was that we were we lived in Moscow. And unfortunately, for some bizarre reason, the Soviet government was thinking that making Moscow as the capital of former USSR pretty, so to speak, for v- uh, people traveling internationally. It was like, like a showcase, you know? You actually could go to the store and there are some food, you know? Until we hit the food shortage point. But people who lived outside of Moscow were literally robbed by government then and the produce that they were producing, you know. Let's say former Soviet republics that were agricultural, the government of Soviet Union would literally get the food from the regions that were agricultural and produce a lot of food, take that food and send it to Moscow. And what ended up being, people would travel on trains for two, three, four hours, riding trains to go to Moscow to buy basic food, meat, bread, sugar, flour, eggs. It's been... It's been horrific, you know? And then when we got to the point of a little later in the 80s, when the world knows that the food shortage for former Soviets, we will be standing in lines for two, three hours just to get to the store. We had ration coupons, like you are entitled to get for a family of five, I don't know what was in kilograms, or five pounds of sugar or whatever, flour or meats rice. There was literally rations, you know. When my son was born, I had two coupons for two blankets. One I called winter blanket for the baby and the other one is the summer blanket for the baby. And forget about, you know, all the varieties of the clothes and you just get what you have.
0: It's very interesting because one image that I still have from my own childhood was standing in line with my parents for a very long time waiting for bananas. And it's something that people still very much associate with Eastern Germany because bananas were a very rare treat. And we would be waiting for hours just to get three bananas. It would be like maybe... You know uh, one banana per child and we were three boys so each one of us would get one banana and i remember our christmas gifts being oranges because that was so rare that you know my parents would give us oranges as a special treat for christmas so very very interesting now what was life like in terms of school what did you learn in school and was the propaganda machine running while you were a student at school?
1: Oh my gosh, it's, it's so interesting to find out that for you, it was bananas. For us, it was the tangerines. It also was a partial of the part of the Christmas uh, spirit. Well, we did not celebrate Christmas per se because it was prohibited for decades and back in Soviet Russia. But we would celebrate New Year's. And yes, I remember those tangerines and fruits as the gift and special treats. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, it was interesting for the schools and propaganda and what they taught in school, it was also interesting because it was such a misbalance because they always would be like, oh, Soviets is the best. we always for people. It's always for poor to be equal and being able to. But on the other hand, here is the pound of sugar for the month for you all and don't look for more. So that was very interesting. And the way you you mentioned that is the propaganda was starting earlier, like kindergarten, the... Everything would be the for the victory of the Soviet Communist Party, the personal life doesn't matter. Only the success of the Communist Party would make the you know make sense to focus on because that is the success. you played your part. Eh, nobody cares like what's going on in the houses you know and in, in families. I guess it's difficult to go back to understand it. From my perspective now, because I was very young and that has been a few decades ago. <laughs> but uh, when we go, used to go to kindergarten, like you go up to six years, right? And then se- seven years old, you go into elementary school. At that time, we had 10-year education, right? So the first grade of the school, an elementary school, what you, we would do... Well, first of all, we have to wear a uniform. The uniforms were mandated by government, certain regulations. This was very strict, right? There's no personality allowed <laughs> back in that school. Within the few, first few months, the young kids would become what we call aktibryonak So it's just in a, that's an interesting name, kind of sweet for kids, I guess, but it's b- basically first in the creation into the political party of the, the Communist Party, first step, first level. You really as a kid, you, you don't need to do anything, but they're not going to give you that the li- little uh, pin and you're going to add something to your uniform to look, you know, patriotic, of course. Obviously, they will be accentuating all the government holidays. Well, I guess... It's, I can't even think of any analogy, you know, like uh, when the October revolution of 1917 happened, that would be a big, big day celebrated by whole country. And obviously for the little kids, they would make it like a big celebration to remember, you know, then you grow a little older, a few grades later, you have to be a good student Well, actually, they would say you have to be a good student and you have to, you know, have certain achievements and so on and so forth. But in reality, you are, like, if you do not become, like, taking the next step, I think it was called Kamsamolets. Oh, my gosh, I hope I pronounced it right. If somebody listens to me from from that air, please forgive my pronunciation. But I think that's how it's called. (laughs) So, for that point, and you cannot really get away from it, except if you're really gonna try to jump out of the, you know, small window on the first level, just not to be part of it, which, yes, been there, done that.
0: As far as these youth organizations, if you can call them that, go, we had something quite similar in the German Democratic Republic, and it was called Pioneers. (laughs) I don't know if that rings a bell. I, I
1: think I remember the, and thank you for reminding, actually, the proper word. So we had like three different stages of indoctrination for young kids. One was that actibrionic that the first few years of schooling. Then we went to, so to speak, middle school. That would be pioneer. That's what it was. And thanks again. <laughs> it's just so, so awesome. You remember words like that? Oh my God. And then it was Komsomolets. Yeah. So it was consistent ongoing process where everything would be built about drilling into people's heads that life really doesn't matter unless you belong to political organization. And quite frankly, for majority of people, that's how it was. If you do not belong to communist party, you really do not have any hope of Living semi-normal life, like getting better apartments or getting, or the condo, I mean, or have going being able to go on to vacations and such, you know. That was very sad because, in another hand, the people who would join the communist party in efforts to achieve better life, I guess. The people, Those people were under such a strict control, they could not speak uh, anything without proper permission, they could not make their own choices to what they want to do, where they want to go. They were so um, controlled by government, even if people were part of that communist organization, it was controlled by the communist organization, what you can do. And that would not only apply onto the person who would be main breadwinner, so to speak, but all the family, you know. Another thing we want to understand back in the USSR, even at the times that I was growing up, the man was the head of the family and women really didn't have an opportunity as much. Although it was still promoted, like women have like empowered, we can go to the factory, do awesome things. But hey, I mean, standing in front of the desk or the, the working machine for 12 hours, that was the empowerment, you know? I The last year of high school, I was looking at the different colleges and universities that I would like to consider what I want to do after school. And one of the places I went was international relationships. And I just wanted to see what programs they have. How do you go about it? Because to me, I was just, you know, researching, looking around, see what else I can do in my life when I grow up. And even the first visit to that place, I was told, you're a woman, you don't have money, you do not know people, we are not going to take you even just because you're a woman. And I was 16, I guess, at that time. So that's a very interesting approach they were taking. <laughs> so was it for everybody? No, not for everybody. If you were if I would have a parents who would be in a higher levels so of communist organization, I probably would have better success. But being a woman then would still allow me to go only to a certain level. Would I, If I would have money, I probably would be in a little bit better situation. But again, there was limitations just because I was a woman. Was it the worst thing in my life? Probably not, because quite frankly, that was a really serious reality check. You know, very serious re- reality check. And that did not discourage me or you know offended me because when you grew up in a, this type of society you take a lot of things as not norm a lot of people probably would give up and say whatever i'm not doing anything else i got you know so discouraged but it was not that problematic to me i guess somehow i knew that it doesn't really make me or break me plus by that time i already have been quite resilient type of person <laughs> Growing up, so
0: I remember those stories very well. <laughs> that carrot dangling over people's heads, requiring them to join the party, or so in the German Democratic Republic there was a not so secret secret police organization called Stasi. And they would require people to spy on their fellow citizens, often even on their loved ones, in order to, for example, be permitted to go to university or to get their vacation requests approved or receive other forms of preferential treatment. For those who are interested, there's a really good movie about this called The Lives of Others. Check it out. It might make your head spin a little bit, (laughs) but that was the reality then. And after the wall came down, people would be allowed to request their Stasi file, and almost every person had one. And they would find out that some of their closest friends, sometimes even their spouses, were placed in their lives by the Stasi organization for the purpose of gaining intel about them and their potential anti-government activities. I realize even talking about it how dystopian that must seem for anyone who did not experience it, but this really happened. Did something similar exist in the Soviet Union or later in Russia? And was that perhaps part of the reason you decided to move to the US? So... How, when and why did you make the decision to move to America and was it a risky process for you then?
1: What was leading to my decision to move? Well, at that time I was I was married and I already had my child back in back in Russia. And after the Soviet Union fell apart, there were a lot of changes and a lot of people know it as perestroika. <laughs> There was a lot of changes that was giving hope to a lot of people. As an example, when I finished high school, a lot of my friends went to uh, college, as, you know, it was uh, meant to be for generations, the right thing to do. Well, what what I did, one of the first things, I was one of the first business owners, even yes, at the age of 17, yes, I did. Uncommon, so to speak, for somebody young. There was a lot of hopes for better. And it was bumpy, right? It's still a lot of things that were absolutely unpredictable and understandable. And people were told that, hey, we don't have that Communist Party watching over you anymore. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to sidetrack just for a second. The last year of my high school, our history teacher, for the first half of the year, she said, we're going to relearn the history. Can you imagine September 1st is the day, right? We have a a history teacher. She sits us up at the class and she says, remember what we have learned about Soviet history last year? I'm like, yeah, the the Marxism theory, Leninism theory. Yes, we do remember that. And actually, yes, I do know what the Marxism is about and the Communist Party is uh, supposed to be ideally and what is reality. So anyway, she sits us up and said, forget it. I'm like... What? (laughs) Forget that. So for the first half of this year, we're going to be relearning the history of the 20th uh, century of uh, Russia. And for the second half of the year, we're going to be learning what we were supposed to be learning this year. Whoa. So anyway, there's a big change, right? A lot of things happened since then. It was not a Soviet Russia anymore, but it's still a very weird place to be at. I'll tell you another example, not easy thing to do. Inflation at that time was skyrocketing, okay? And then whatever was uh, costing one ruble then it would become a thousand rubles, you know? Try to keep up with that inflation within a few years. So what they did, the government said, we're going to do what's called denomination, like cutting a few zeros, At the end, right? And say don't worry about it. Your money are your money. Nobody going to take your money. We're just changing a little bit of a zeros, amount of zeros after the first number, right? And I remember as of right now, people obviously concerned and scared because this is the life savings, you know, there was no like investment in in stocks or market or real estate or gold. It was not like that. People didn't have money to do so, you know? like try to leave for eighty dollars a month as your pension fund. <laughs> I guess, like, but few people were scared to death for whatever the savings they were having. And literally afternoon, in afternoon of one day they say the, the official government figure says no, no worries, we're not gonna do denomination. And 8 a.m next morning they say this is happening. And not just that. They say that you only allowed to take up to this sum from your savings account. Only this much to transfer to your family. People panicked. Big time. So, you know, like when during the COVID, we were like, oh, there's the, the food shortage. Guys, you do not know what the food shortage is. People buying, we were buying anything that you could, including used TVs. <laughs> toilet paper napkins toothpaste toothbrushes anything even the consignment stores were empty like if you go to goodwill you would see empty sto- empty shelves in the store because the government just took money away it's not it wasn't just the cut in zeros the the monetary buying power was changed immediately overnight People panicked and that was, yeah, we are maybe not in Soviet Union anymore, but really what has changed, you know, I understand everybody, every country, every nation, every, whatever you want to say is going to have a growing pains, but that was another eye-opening experience. What I have learned no matter what you hear which we already knew like from propaganda growing up we're like oh yeah that's propaganda they say what okay what how do we read between the lines but what was happening at that time we start learning more about what actually happens we were exposed significantly more to reality of corruption the level of corruption of soviets then we were more informed on the horrific crime rates we were informed more, you know, like maybe not to the Facebook level, obviously, but you know now what happened between the mafias trying to deal the territory that they are in. And that was one of the three big events that happened in my life, why I have decided to consider to change my life. But again, I was very lucky and I... I, Just, I always say God loves me. And I was very lucky that at the time I was married to someone and his parents moved to United States first. I don't want to go into details why what happened, whatever it is, but my in-laws then moved to United States and they were like, Hey guys, you need to move here. And I already had a business for their friends, you know, family, my style of life. My child was born there and I was already like trying to set it up to where he would be in a better uh, schools. Yes. I had to pay to the kindergarten for my three-year-old child to be in a better class, you know? So with the amount of crime, in addition to everything else, there was three big events that really made me say, okay, I'm going, I'm taking a chance. One of the things was I used to have a kiosk, the retail kiosk, and it was a big building with a lot of like a little retail shops and so two big mafia groups were trying to, so to speak, divide the territory. Yes, it was in Moscow. It was not anywhere in in a, you know, and we lived in pretty safe, good, nice, clean neighborhood. But those two mafia groups could not figure out who's controlling what. And one of those groups I knew that was from Dagestans, which is extremely ruthless and absolutely terrifying organizations then. So when I was working one day, then we and my colleagues, my friends, we see the people were escorted out of the building by police. And... Doors were locked for people who wanted to come in. And the next thing we know, they say, okay, guys, now we have a call. There is a bomb in the building and I'm standing in this kiosk and I'm looking at the things that I have for sale. I'm looking at the girl next to me and she was very, Well, I was in my early twenties, but she was 18 and she was like totally frozen. I'm like, Hey, we're good. We're fine. And then I'm looking at the things that I am responsible for. It was basically taken on consignment, but it's very expensive things. I'm talking about fur coats. I'm talking about jeans. You know, it's a lot of things that I would never pay back for. And I'm thinking, if I just walk out right now, the amount of money that is I am responsible for right now is going to put my son in danger because... This is what back in Soviet Russia and post-Soviet Russia was used. Oh, you don't do this. Your family is targeted. That's something like what you mentioned about neighbor will be talking, you know, about the neighbor and putting people to jail that way. So, you know, to, so to me, I was like, all right, so either just stand there and hope, or I will take a chance to come back to situation where I will have to face consequences. So I have chosen to stay. And it was a very interesting experience. Like when you feel that the cold sweat is kind of running down your neck and you just know that, like, I'll take it. If it goes, boom, I'm I'm just going to take it because other than that, my family would be in danger. And I was not, like, putting my son in any situations like that, taking chances. So luckily, it was the false threat. But the second threat happened three weeks after. And what was absolutely, um, I don't even know how to describe my feeling. I'm just going to say what I felt. I felt that it is not okay to be told that there is a second threat of bomb being in the building in which you are standing and just shrug your shoulders and say, well, I know I'm not leaving and just st- stand there and packing up because they will let us eventually go. Just say, well, oh, oh, another bomb threat alert, you know, whatever. And the thought of, like, my son's kindergarten was literally across the street. And what came into my mind is a picture of if the bomb goes off, it was not the scary that I'm going to die. I didn't think about that. What I imagine is my son being outside, you know, with the group of kids, and how the windows of the building that between where I am and that uh, kindergarten, how the windows of that 16 story tall building gonna be flying onto the playing ground where my son is. That was the scariest thing. <laughs> and when this event is the one event, it's kind of puts you in a situation like, why, what am I doing here? You know? The second threat was false, but the third threat, we were just going to work. And the third time they did actually find a bomb in the building. So we were just lucky the way it was structured by <laughs> whatever the people were deciding there. You know, that was one thing. The second event was I was taking my son outside to, to the kindergarten. And then I, or whatever, they we, we were going outside out of the building. And I saw a little boy, eight years old, one of our neighbor's kids running towards the house, towards the building, like I never seen kids running before. And then I see the grown up man chasing him. And I was just few, he was just few feet away from the door and the doors that we had was multiple doors with the code, the metal doors that you can't break through. Yes, that's normal living was then, but you know, I'm standing there and I then there was, I hold my son's hand, and I see the boy running, and I knew that he's the son of entrepreneur, who also was Jewish, which has always been an issue for a lot of you know communist organizations and other political issues. I kind of frozen froze for a second, and then I was trying to hold like two doors open, holding my son's hand, letting this little boy to run through the big door, and. He got got in and I just slammed with all my body on the door to shut it so the guy would not chase him. And the the as I did, he, the, the guy was chasing him. He just reached the first door when I was at the second. And he just slammed with the whole like, running speed. He just slammed at the door. He couldn't even stop. He was running that fast. And I'm like, oh, we we'll probably need to think a little bit better about my in-laws then saying, hey, guys, you're going to be better in, in the United States. And the third thing was when the kid from the next building, from first grader, he never came back from school. And my son was supposed to start school that soon. I'm like, no, no, that's it, that's it. that's. I mean, God tells me that this is the three signs. If you don't listen, you know. I mean, so this is, this is how my decision was. And I'm not even telling you when, I, I actually, small things, Small things like when I couldn't go home because uh, I was trying to go home after work, and I was people walking like, "Which is it following you?" Like stalker. But um, I've been like doing like an hour of walking around this store, that store. I not just somebody, not just uh, following me. So I was trying to not to go towards the house. I literally had to call one of my friends who was a sheriff, and I listen. Any any of you guys nearby? I'm I've been followed for an hour and a half. I can't go home. So he was like, hold up, like go there, I'll send somebody. I'm like, okay, cool. But I was lucky again. I just was lucky I knew people, you know. I had another thing when also after work, I had somebody, I was talking to somebody, we had a meeting, business meeting, and then somebody runs in, sits in front of you at the table, talks to the person I'm talking to in different language. And then he like just shows me that he has a gun, meaning like, keep quiet. I'm like, oh, hi, how are you doing? And I see the the police coming in. I'm like, well, what can I do? I didn't do anything. You know, you just have to sit there, continue sipping on your cup of coffee and pretend that everything is all right. When somebody says you're gonna speak, you're gonna die. And that's not, not how you wanna live. And this is already post-Soviet, you know? I can't even imagine how it was before. Car chase is not a fun thing to be in a car. I experienced that then. This time again, being a passenger, you know, when we were trying to do business, it was either a criminal, either it was bureaucracy, or it was some kind of other thing that I do not know of. And so, to me, I got to the point like I remember. When my grandparents who lived through twenties and thirties and forties and so on and so forth, were not even like, they didn't even talk about how my grandparents, great grandparents disappeared. You know, they, my grandpa, my, my grandpa was whispering in eighties saying that he really doesn't want to talk about what happened to his father and why he was whispering. You know, and to me, when I kind of look at all of that, I'm like, I didn't get afraid and I'm afraid it was, I, I think it was more like self-preservation, you know, just if you freak out, you, you're done. I didn't even get scared, you know, for any of that, like normal person. I was scared. that was not normal. I didn't want my son to grow up like that. So to me, when I said, all right, fine, I'll, I sign a paper, let's apply, let's apply and see what happens. So my myself, my ex-husband, and his grandmother, and my son, we were just lucky, and we got okay from American government. Yes, you can come in. I just really didn't didn't look back, I guess. to a lot of people, a lot of uh, I know a lot of people from former Soviet Union would go back to visit their family and so on and so forth. But to me, it was like I could not have that emotional ties to my past place of birth. You know, I didn't have that much of a very strong relationship with the family members by then. Many people have died as well, but by the age, whatever it is. So I didn't have much of family. I had friends, but not that many. And I kept in touch with them for a while, but it was... I do not turn around. If it's time to go, sometimes it's time to go. And to me, going back to missing place you were born, which is where your history is, you know, it was not like that. I also truly believe that the places, governments, nationalities, whatever else we identify ourselves with, it's really not relevant. We all live on this planet, and I felt that. I am, I live on this planet that we call earth, you know, on many languages and there are many other names to this planet, you know? So to me, I am a human being. There are humans around me and I don't care what you call me. I was born on planet earth. This is my home, Russia, whatever, Japan. I don't care, you know, if by the blessings that I was brought here to the United States, I am grateful, and this is what I'm going to focus on. So to me, it was not as difficult to leave it because I don't have a good memories for the most of the part. And if you think about it, like being 9, 10, 11 years old, I would have to go to the grocery store twice a week, standing in line in a snow, wind, and icy rain, just waiting, you know, to get into the store and then fight adults just so you can grab a piece of meat or whatever piece of bread to bring home. I mean, I mean that's not fun childhood. Or I had to take a public transportation to take dance lesson, lessons, right? That twice a week. And trust me, being a young woman, a young girl, it does. People do not, did not have a respect. If you're 12 years old, they gonna touch you when it's the bus is all piled up and squished. That they would touch you accidentally or not accidentally. And as a young girl, you know, young adult. I had to learn to defend myself. It was not fun. Or if somebody, somebody's trying to grab you on the street and pull you, you're going to have to stop panicking. You're going to have to know what to say. It's not fun place to remember. At least it was not for me. Were there good memories? Oh my gosh, of course.
0: That is interesting because I very much remember the tears that I shed when I turned a new page and left Dresden, my family and so many friends and my old normal behind. Were you nervous? And what was it like saying goodbye to all of that? Obviously, there's a lot of hope for a better life, but you didn't really know what was coming either. So were you nervous?
1: I honestly cannot say that I was nervous. For me... My grandpa has passed away way before, and he was the most meaningful relationship, like most important person in my life. So I was like, it was um, I didn't have that. My when my grandma passed away, I was in the same situation where I was like, why would I go if she's already gone? And she had the opportunity to come over, so we had. I didn't have this this kind of scenario. Plus, remember this: like when when I moved here. There was no Facebook. I didn't know what's going on. And I remember writing letters to my high school friends and my other friends. I was writing letters (laughs) or waiting for the letters. And I even kept a couple of them as the memory of how it used to be. But we did not have this amazing opportunity that people have now. On the other hand, we didn't have that many temptations. Oh my gosh, I'm missing this and that. Plus, to me, I guess change. I have been through too many changes between Soviet falling apart. It's you changing the whole structure, you know, from uh, something that was there for generations and wasn't good into something that absolutely unknown and dangerous. So quite frankly, by the time that I was going to America, there was really nothing could scare me, you know, or
0: make me nervous or worried. This is a bit embarrassing, but before I ever even visited the US, I had this idea of everything being like it was in the movies. I thought I would run into celebrities at every corner, that everyone was just always so very happy, and that there really were no hardships or struggles here. In retrospect, that's of course a little naive to say the least. What did you think America was going to be like, and what was it actually like when you arrived?
1: Oh my god, Um, I guess I wasn't that lucky. (laughs) Remember, I grew up on uh, pirated copies of Terminator, (laughs) Aliens, and obviously Rambo. (laughs) So to me, I don't know what to expect. At the same time, I I kind of knew what propaganda was, uh, which was telling everybody that America is a bad place to be at when, when I was growing up, you know. So I didn't have any expectations. I kind of had all right, it's one of those, you just close your eyes and you jump to swim. (laughs) Didn't have broken expectations for sure. It's actually turned out much better than I expected.
0: Do you remember some of your first impressions, some of your first steps in America, some of the first things that you did when you arrived in this country?
1: I think one of the most amusing things was me moving from Russia, Moscow, where we have a winter typically from October to March. First thing was absolutely amusing that it was January. I moved here on January 25th, right? It was January. I moved from Russia. And in two weeks after I moved here, it was so So nice outside. It was the sunshine. It was the birds singing. And I am stepping out of the house in a t-shirt. It was, oh my God, what's happening? And then three weeks later, it was snow. (laughs) We used to, the first place I lived was the DC area, Virginia side, Northern Virginia. So I guess the weather, weather was absolutely not understandable to me. But there's a lot of funny things, especially when you don't speak English. I did take some classes, but I was studying English that was offered by a Russian teacher that was taught to teach British English. Oh my God, doesn't work
0: in Northern Virginia. <laughs> Tell us about the life you then began to build. I know you joined the U.S. Navy. How did that happen?
1: Well, joining Navy did not happen right away. It took me a while. When I moved to United States, I had to learn a lot about states and myself as well. It was a very interesting journey. A lot of mistakes, a lot of successes, and a lot of uh, adaptation that I had to go through. I had to make decisions on who do I want to like surround myself with. I have gotten the new career. Oh, I started doing... Dental assisting, I have developed a circle of friends. I had to learn who I am in a totally different environment with all the turbulences in my past of systems, careers, life situations. It was not that difficult. It was very different though. At the same time, I had separated and divorced my ex-husband with whom I moved to united states we've been together i guess nine years for total of nine years from back from ussr you know but it just didn't work because i know for many people moving to another country was final catalyst on if your relationship would work or would not so that was a big challenge for me as well especially the fact that i didn't really have a family here so before I joined the military, I had learned a few things about my life around me, myself and such. Plus, I was in a situation where my son was already going in a high school, and I had to wait for him to finish high school before I would join the military, because if I would do it then, I would have to give up the custody of my son, and that was not something that I would choose over, you know for my my wants or you know but it was it was a process it was an uh, interesting process of getting ready for the military
0: what motivated you to join the military especially the military of a quote unquote foreign country for you as an immigrant
1: it's thank you so much it's a very interesting question there are several things actually led to it on one hand when I was a very young girl, you know, as I said before, like the whole environment that I grew up in kind of helped me to build quite strong character. And to me, being a strong woman back then in the United States, being a business owner, one of the first business owners, it was great experience, but I still feel that after I moved here, I became dental assistant or did something simple. It was just not rewarding enough and not meaningful enough. Yes, I enjoyed every time I could help the patients. I could make somebody's day better, you know. <laughs> I was working like making smiles for living. That's great, you know. It's it's rewarding too, but it was not fulfilling to where I wanted to be and how I want to be. At the same time, for some reason, I just wanted to to experience more challenging i guess professions that usually not even were available for women back back in soviets you know as I said, remember I was mentioning like I couldn't even get into the college. I mean, being the police officer or firefighter was not really something that the girls were ra- raised to be, you know. my I remember <laughs> my grandma and my mother, they were trying to help me to learn to play with the dolls and, you know, build whatever, the girly stuff, which it wasn't me. My grandpa on the other hand always was like, hey, let's build that. We would be building the train out of chairs and the the houses out of the chairs and the tables, you know? So I was a thumb boy all the time. So one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to be in the military or do something that is a little bit not girly, so to speak. <laughs> and again, when, when, I was, when I moved here and we lived quite close to DC area, I was telling my ex-husband, well, my husband then, I was telling, hey, I'm 25. I would like to do something in my life that I wanted to do. And his answer was typical of, you know, Russian men then. I don't know how it is now, but I was like, his answer was like, you're a woman, you're supposed to stay home, take care of the family. And you have a child and you have a husband, you cannot go into military. So, needless to say, I did not help <laughs> to work on the marriage. You know, I mean, obviously there was more, more of uh, things that uh, was there, but it was one of the things. And culturally, you know, culturally it was like that. So, to me, one thing is having a strong personality, and to prove yourself who you are was still important to me. For the other side, I'm, I was really grateful that I am in this country, and I didn't, I don't take United States as the foreign country. There is a phrase, a phrase or saying that home is where your kids grew up, and I'm pretty sure many people know where this phrase comes from. But to me, home is where your 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 kids grew up, where your child grew up. Plus. All the opportunities, all the things that I was introduced to here in the United States, I just wanted to be a valuable member of society. And to me, it was important to give back, not to the, you know, not not just to be average person that would be doing their part, paying taxes. I wanted to do more. And to me, it was the ideal scenario where I could combine that. Big thank you for the opportunity that my son would be able to have in this country without going through what I've been going through when I was growing up in the Soviet Union, you know? So to me, it was very meaningful. And then after waiting for a while for my son to finish the high school, it was be- becoming even more meaningful. So it took me a couple decades to make my dream to come true. <laughs> I was 39 years old. Yes, I got age waivers, this waiver, that waiver. I was 39 years old going into boot camp. And to me, again, it was the dream that a lot of people can't even afford to dream of. You know, being being a woman, being immigrant, being 39 years old, going into boot camp, it was something that... Unbelievable on one hand, and another thing is like, oh, I am actually stronger than I thought, I actually can achieve more than I was told I can. And I guess that rebellious child portion of my soul was saying, No, we're doing this, we're going into military, I don't care how long we're gonna wait, but it was meaningful. And I had absolutely incredible experiences being in the navy. I, I had the uh, I met a lot of amazing people. I had a lot of accomplishments that a lot of people wouldn't even think about it. But most importantly... I was introduced to people from every part and a corner and small town and a big town of this country. I have learned about how different people are. And sometimes even if you don't understand person or you can be intimidated by some things that this person can say, on another hand, like another moment, that's going to be the person that you don't expect, but they will pick you up you know, and this is something that you don't really see on your regular life. And thankfully you don't have to most of the time, but the camaraderie of the, of the, of the Navy or military, whatever you want to say, that was absolutely incredible experience that I think to me have changed me to be better person. And my approach with a lot of people has changed thanks to those who i did not understand and i hope well i have been told by a few different people many occasions that people appreciate knowing me and i helped younger people to be stronger people to adapt in a better way to be productive maybe it's not always logical but sometimes you just have to Think of bigger picture. If we don't understand something today, if I don't understand something about you, why you saying this? We always need to remember there is something behind it. Is there is a meaning for this, or how to how to be a better person?
0: How incredibly inspiring! Thank you for your service and for making our chosen home safer. What do you think is the secret recipe for success of immigrants in the United States? What should or shouldn't an immigrant do to truly assimilate and feel at home here?
1: Oh my gosh, it's an incredible question. And I hope a lot of people will find my answers helpful. The first and foremost, I have to say, do not get stuck in your comfort zone, in your cultural little circle that's going to keep you from thinking outside the box there is a difference between having healthy connections and relationships to your culture to your friends that you share your culture with and it's totally different when you get stuck doing the same thing that you actually try to move away from what is the point I understand we all have different abilities and opportunities. Obviously, my situation is going to be different from many other people. I don't expect women to get up and go to military at the age of like approaching 40s. No, that's more of an exception, crazy me, and I love it. But I understand there's other people who would never have this opportunity for the obligations they have chosen to take care of. Moms who sacrifice their dreams to raise the kids and to be a supportive wife. It's an incredible and very difficult job. The mission they have chosen. But at the same time, there is something that needs to be for the soul of a person who have chosen to change the pattern. We choose to move for the purpose of get something better or get something different or give something different either to a family or loved ones or to the world. When we get stuck in our comfort zone, this is where the stagnation is, gets us. So when you as an immigrant move here and cater to your comfort, this is where you're limiting yourself. Thinking of outside of box is difficult for anybody, immigrant or just moving from one culture to another. In what I'm talking about a, a culture, I am meaning even moving from one state to another state. And I can be honest with you, moving from Northern Virginia to South Carolina, oh my God, I had a cultural shock. I had to think to slow my speech, uh, speech patterns down. I needed to slow down. The same way I had to learn to speak English when I moved to America, and that was a choice. I had to learn to create better future for my son, for myself. And by the love of God, there is a curiosity. We all have a curiosity. What is around the corner? What about across the street? Don't limit yourself. As an immigrant... We should not limit yourself to what we understand. At least to start picking around the corner. What is outside of this box? And that helps tremendously. It tr- helps you to bring the friends into your life that you didn't think of. It helps you to learn about things around you that you couldn't think of. Why people go to Hawaii, for example. It's not just for status. A lot of people just want to know what's there. And... It's interestingly, though, like when I was very young, I think I was 15 years old, the first thing that I wanted to do, because I used to read a lot, I wanted to see Texas. I was curious about Texas. I want to learn about Cherokee. I did. I don't know. I was reading the books. Okay. Don't, 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 don't ask me. I wouldn't remember. It's been too long. I wanted to visit Alaska because I was reading the books of Jack London. I want to see what it is, you know, even though it is a part of heritage, but the funniest thing. There was a day when I woken up and I was already in the military, and I realized something. Being a military, in the military, which was really dream that I thought never come true, I was able to visit Japan, which was the dream that I thought I will never be able to complete when I was young. I went to Texas and Alaska the same within three weeks. Oh my gosh! So this is this is something that if, if I would be dreaming to go to Mars or visit Japan, growing back in USSR, or kind of coming back, it was equally impossible. Same with the taxes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so to me, if I would stop myself because of my comfort zone, I probably would never make most of my dreams come true, and. What's important as well, if you have kids, you also want to share this ability to get where you want to be through teaching them by example. You can help your friends or even the people you absolutely do not know. I just met them. I still can share if they want to hear that, hey, yes, there is obstacles today, but tomorrow, is going to depend on how you're going to see this optical. So are you going to stay in your comfort zone? Are you going to pick around? So what is there? You know? So that's
0: my advice. You have made your dream an absolute reality. You have even since become a US citizen, really making this great country your home. Tell us about that process and that special moment at your O ceremony when you finally knew. You are now a true part of all of this.
1: I have a good memory of becoming a citizen. I also remember that as the little dream (laughs) that I could, like, I really had to pinch myself. Is it real or not? To me, though, it was a little bit different. I didn't really have to become a citizen the way I moved here, but it was a step On achieving my goal to join the military, so to me it was oh my gosh I'm moving one step closer and it was also kind of part of the oh my gosh am I really doing this you know (laughs) so did the way it made my life different is probably I felt more a stronger sense of belonging to this country. For many people, maybe it is not that important, but to me, as I said, I had uh, the way I view things, I belong to this planet and becoming a citizen just made me, gave me an ability to be more productive, more useful, more helpful, because that's what is important to me. Plus getting one more step closer to my dream of joining the military was <laughs> had a huge significance. President Obama was at that time in the office and did I celebrate it? I celebrated, it was a very small celebration. Some things you just I didn't want to make a party out of it. I celebrated it at home. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's something that I celebrated internally and I accepted and I was grateful to to be able to, because there's a lot of people who
0: can't. As somebody who overcame difficult times of change, of course, nowhere near as difficult as what those poor people in the Ukraine are facing right now. What is your message to them? We are recording this in March and who knows what will even have happened by the time this airs in April. What message would you send to the people in the Ukraine?
1: Uh, Yes, it is a very tough question. I am heartbroken. I am heartbroken for people waking up one day and finding themselves under attack. I am heartbroken for people waking up one day and being ordered and threatened to go into the said attack to attack people they absolutely do not know and maybe even related to. I am heartbroken that people didn't have a choice to avoid it. I have friends, and I know many people from Ukraine, from Russia, from uh, people from former as uh, a former Soviet republic, uh, Soviet Union republics, who suffer mightily because of this war. There is really nothing that. I could say as a message because I don't even dare to understand what I would love to see happening is that no matter what people would have a choice and chance and opportunity to never wake up to this.
0: Now, some people say that the American dream is dead. I disagree. What do you think? And do you think you are done dreaming it?
1: I, I am on the same page with you. I do not believe that American dream is dead. I believe in life. We are, uh, we can choose if we want to dream or not. We can choose if we want to make a steps to make this dream possible. And we can choose if we willing to do, to make those steps,
0: to make our dreams to come true. Thank you so much, Olga. I think this is a a nice closing statement. So from one immigrant to another, I love your encouraging, inspiring, and empowering story. If any of our listeners would like to ask some more questions, would you be willing to sit down with me again to do a follow-up interview?
1: Absolutely. I will be very, very happy to answer questions, maybe to help somebody to make their dream come true. And it's always a pleasure talking to you. absolutely love listening to your
0: thoughts. Thank you. Thought evolutionists. What a great journey this has been. Could you picture yourself leaving the place you currently call home to have a fresh start someplace else? Where would that be? What seems like a crazy adventure at first glance can actually be so much more. An opportunity. An awakening. A truly impactful self-discovery. Can you imagine immersing yourself in a completely new and foreign culture, language, society? And what can you bring to the table to add to another country? To strengthen it, to make it more diverse, perhaps even a little better than it was before? Immigrants around the world sacrifice something, give up a little of themselves to not only try and belong somewhere. There lies a lot of beauty in somebody growing roots in unexpected places, becoming friends with somebody they would have never met if it weren't for this insatiable curiosity, this desire to know what it's really like living somewhere else. Perhaps you feel inspired to start doing a little research. Pull out those roots and see if they have the capacity to be stuck in a different kind of soil someplace else. We're all richer for what we can learn from people who are not a cookie-cutter copy of our own identity, history, background. I personally love our immigrant communities around the world. Perhaps you are an immigrant and you're listening right now. If you would like to share your own story, please contact me. Also contact me if you're not an immigrant and have a story to tell, because everyone is welcome here. And I mean that with all my heart. To contact our show, please check out thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. That's thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. Leave us a voicemail message by calling 864-501-5033. That's 864-501-5033. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. We are Thoughtvolution there. Subscribe to all of our social media. Please like, follow, review, rate, whatever it may be. It really helps us out. And if you want to wear your heart and your favorite podcast on your sleeve... (laughs) Don't forget our merch store on our website, thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. In any case, I appreciate every single one of you. Please send us questions for Olga for a follow-up. It would be so cool to have her back. Last but not least, I love you guys so very much. Thank you for every uplifting and encouraging comment, email, or message. It means the world to me, knowing that you care about our fellow human beings and their stories as much as I do. Have the best day ever. I will see you next week and immigrant or not, please be kind to each other.